0: Let's go ahead and uh, just humble our hearts before the Lord and before his word. Father, thank you for your word and, and God for the confidence that we have that when we open it, the truths, Father, that are revealed, we don't have to wonder, Lord, and we don't have to think, you know, filter them through man's opinions, but Father, we know that this is the truth and this is what you want us to hear today. And so I pray just for this message, what you've led me to highlight, Father, and just even the sensitivity to you to, to lead this in whatever direction you would choose, Father, um, that you would speak to our hearts today. Thank you. In my son's name we pray. Amen. Well, how many of you here have ever gone spelunking? How many have ever gone spelunking? Uh, couple. How many of you here don't know? what spelunking is. (laughs) Okay. A lot more people not knowing what it is. It's called cave exploring. It's a fancy term for it. Um, I was thinking about this past week and and I thought back to uh, back in my early 20s when I was a camp counselor in Texas. And one of the outings that we would take the kids on was to a place called Enchanted Rock. And we actually have a picture of it here. It's a state park. And that's where we would go down in Texas um, this is a massive, large granite dome rock. For, other than the pieces that have chipped off of it, that's all one rock. And it's a, it's a big granite rock. And it got its name, Enchanted Rock, um, because in the intense Texas heat, you know, 115, 120 degrees, the, the rock would heat up. And then at night it would cool down. And in that heating and cooling and the expanding and contracting, the, the rock actually groans. And uh, that's how it got its name, Enchanted Rock. One of the many things uh, we had to do there when we, when we would take the, the, the camp kids there is uh, a series of tunnels that we would take them through. And it was a, 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 um, an experience, I'm not sure I want to repeat, um, to call them cave tunnels was a little exaggeration. There were cracks and crevices that you, you crawled through through the ground. You'd went at, go in one end, and about a half hour later, um, you would pop out at the other and You couldn't get lost in there. It only went one way, uh, but you you know, at no place could you ever stand up. And we would take our kids through there. And the leaders, um, we all had flashlights because folks... When you went into this cave, if you've ever gone into caves before, you understand that at some point there's, there's always some light that you have. Even in the darkness, if we turned all the lights off, it was nice. You still have some level of light. But when you go down into a cave, the deeper and deeper you get, there's a darkness there that you can just feel. It is, it is so heavy. It is so oppressive. And so we take our, these kids down there through there. Of course, the leaders would have flashlights, and we get down there to a certain point, and we turn the lights off inevitably some kid would freak out, you know, you know going nuts and crazy. And, and it was kind of cool because we'd get real close to them, and we'd turn the light on, and we're like three inches from their face. Uh, but you couldn't see anything. And uh, did I mention this is a Christian camp uh, that we were doing this with, terrorizing the children? What made me think, um, as I was looking at Scripture this week, of, of darkness and how the Bible talks about darkness. You know, one of the definitions of darkness is the absence of light. And and not that I ever watched them, you think about it, uh, horror films, they're not made in the daytime. But they're made in the, the nighttime. Think about a cemetery. If you go to a cemetery during the day, it's a rather beautiful place. Manicured lawns, nice statues, maybe some fountains, there's flowers all over the place. But when darkness comes, you don't want to be in a cemetery. So I was doing some research on this and uh, one psychological study uh, was done on night people who we call night owls versus early birds, people that get up early in the morning. And I I, I just want to quote part of the study, some of the results that they found. They said, Generally generally speaking, concerning night people, they are antisocial, temperamental, extravagant, addictive, less faithful, and I love this one, They have a higher batting average, (laughs) their procrastination, and anxiety. And I thought, well, that's a pretty sad list unless you're a professional baseball player, you know, and uh, then you're okay with that. And then instead of early birds, you know, words that describe them would be persistent and cooperation and proactive and and conscientious. They get better grades. And I'm pretty sure this study was done by a day person, (laughs) But just to be safe, I'm encouraging you all to go to bed tonight at 6.30 so uh, you know, so we can be in that other group. Darkness versus light. That is a common theme that you find through all of the Bible. Because according to God, there are only two types of people in the world. There are people of the darkness and there are people in the light. There are believers and there are unbelievers. There is life versus death. There is salvation versus the wrath of God. There are people that are asleep to the truth of God, and those are people who are awakened to it. Those, there are people who are drunk and those who are sober. It is dead versus alive. That's the distinction that God makes. There are only two peop- kind of people in the world today. Now, for the past few weeks, we've been looking at the future events that wait. Those are who are of the light. We've been talking about what a Christian's future is. We looked in chapter 4, at the end of chapter 4 in 1 Thessalonians, we looked at the rapture of the church, the coming down of Jesus Christ to meet the believers in the air, the church being taken up to be with him, and all the believers going to be with Christ, and then ultimately as we entered chapter 5, we looked at then the second coming of Christ, seven years later, that he would come to return to rule here on this earth. Uh, Well, this morning I want to move past those actual events because we spend a lot of time looking at time charts and all those sorts of things. I want to get past those events. And I want to talk about the people of those events, the people of the events of the rapture, of the second coming, and what the Bible has to say for them. So we're going to read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and uh, we're going to double back and start in verse 1 and go through verse 11. I'm going to ask if uh, you'll stand with me as the word of God is read. Says now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night, nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope of salvation. For God hath not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore encourage one another and build one another up, just as also you are doing. Maybe seated. So we come into this portion of Scripture, which really is an ending of the dialogue that started way back in chapter 4 in verse 13 and and comes up to this point in 5.11. Um, Paul, in his letters here, he is writing in response to questions and concerns. And like all the epistles, you you can see it woven through that, you know, some of the things that the church was going through and Paul is addressing some of those things. And for the uh, church at Thessalonica, specifically, he's answering questions concerning Christians who die before the rapture. You know, remember, Christianity is fairly new here, and and the truth and knowledge, they didn't have the canonized word of God like we have it here today. So they had a lot of questions. What happens? I mean, they understood the rapture. They understood the second coming of Christ. What about those who die? I mean, these events that we're supposed to be looking for, what happens to them? Um, They were, again, very familiar with the teachings concerning the rapture and the tribulation. Um, Even though Thessalonians here is one of the earliest books uh, that was written by Paul... Um, we understand while Paul was is there planting a church, he's doing a lot of teaching, and he taught them concerning the end times. He taught them concerning the rapture. He taught them concerning the second coming of Christ. You see this all through the book. In chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, he says, For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and, catch it, and to wait for his Son from heaven. So they were looking for the return of Christ, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. So they understood that. You know, Jesus, he's going to come. We're waiting for him to come and to rescue us from the wrath to come. In chapter uh, 2, verse 19, it says, it's speaking of Jesus, it says, for who is our hope? or joy or crown of exaltation, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Chapter 3, verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with his saints. And then, obviously, in chapter 5, he says, Now as to the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. In other words, I've already told you You know, this isn't the first time you've heard it, you know. This is a new knowledge to you. He's giving them a reminder. He's helping them to to put pieces together. Paul is reminding them. He's reassuring them concerning this this great mystery. And he reaches down through all generations to encourage us as well and saying that we have nothing to fear as a Christian. We have no fear of the wrath of God. Christ is going to come. He's going to remove his children before the day of the Lord, which is the tribulation, the judgment, the wrath of God. Again, what he said in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. They understood that. So if you are a Christian, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to fear in your future. But folks, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, you have everything to fear. You have nothing but fear in your future, and that's what he's talking about here. Now, we're going we're gonna to complete this time of encouragement and the future of, of believers, and, and to do that, I want to kind of focus on three reasons that we should have no fear as Christians. Three reasons that we have no fear. Okay, number one, let me give them to you. Number one, because of our nature. We do not fear because of the nature of a Christian. Verse 4 and 5. It says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. You see, there's this, this constant contrast between darkness, representing non-Christians, and light represents true believers. Of those who are in darkness, remember what it said in verse 3? It says, while they're saying peace and safety, in other words, everything's fine, everything's going on just like it has from the very beginning, nothing nothing seems to be changing. While they're saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. They shall not escape. That's the darkness. But of the light, he says, But you, you, brethren, are not in darkness, talking about us, those of us who are Christians, you know that the day should overtake you like a thief. You see, the Lord's coming judgment, the Lord's coming wrath, is not for believers because it's not of our nature. It's not part of the light. But for those who are not Christians, remember verse 3 said, they shall not escape spiritual darkness is going to be judged. Paul makes it very clear that a true believer is not in darkness. A matter of fact, we have a whole different uh, function in this light and darkness thing. It says in John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, he says, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light for their deeds are evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light Remember, it talks about us being the light, just like Christ was the light. He does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. In Ephesians 5.8, it says, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light, light in the Lord. Walk then as children of light. And then Colossians 1.13 says, For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son." You see, we don't have that nature. Once a person gives his life, his heart to Jesus Christ, once we are forgiven of our sins, we don't have that nature anymore, the nature of, 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 of the darkness. That's not in us anymore. Again, in verse 4, it says, but you, brethren, are not in darkness. You are not in darkness. We are not in darkness mentally. In other words, because of the word of God and he opened up our eyes, I mean, mentally, we understand what is taking place. Mentally, we understand what God is doing in this world. We are not in darkness morally. In other words, our acts, our actions are supposed to be different. We don't walk in the deeds of darkness. And we won't be in darkness and eschatologically. In other words, in end times. In other words, we're not going to be facing the wrath of God when he, he comes to judge the darkness, Okay. The prophet Amos, he was talking uh, to, the, to the Jews who were kind of just plain believers, plain as children of God, who weren't really true believers. And he says these sobering words in Amos five eighteen and 20. He says, alas, you who are longing for the day of the Lord, for what purpose will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness in it? You see, a true believer doesn't have that worry. The true believer doesn't have that in his future. A true believer's nature is changed. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 5 here, it says, For you are sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. I've got to tell you, that's an interesting term that it uses here. It talks about us being sons of light. It, it's kind of a Hebraic expression. Um, it it kind of denotes when you, when you talk about someone being a son of something, it denotes the character and nature of that which it's connected to. Remember when the Pharisees accused Jesus of doing all of his miracles, he said, you know, he's a son of Belial. Belial was a name for Satan. It means he's the son of Satan. He, he has the same nature of Satan. Uh, think about it in Acts chapter 4, Barnabas. Remember, he's called the son of encouragement. It's a Hebraic term. It means, you know, he, he has that nature of what it's connected to, of being an encourager, of, of having great mercy. That, that's part of his character. And Paul, as it talks about our nature, as Paul talks about our character, he kind of doubles down. He says, you are sons of light. You are a son of the day. You see, sometimes as a Christian, I get frustrated living in this world. I get frustrated living in this world of darkness because we forget that as Christians, we have a different nature than the world that we're living in. We have the light of Jesus Christ showing things to us. We live in a completely different sphere of life than this world that we live in and those who live in darkness. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So as a Christian living in this world, I am light living in the midst of darkness. We're light living in the midst of darkness. We're light people. We're not darkness. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things, behold, uh, the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So, folks, that's the first reason that, as a Christian, if you're a true Christian, that you have nothing to fear in the future because our nature has been changed. We're a new creation. We are children of the light. We're, we're children of the day. We don't live in fear because Christ has given us a new nature. Let me give you a second reason from our text. Second reason we don't live in fear is because of the distinctiveness of our behavior. The distinctiveness, the difference of our behavior. Verse six. He says, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and let us be sober. So he starts at that verse 6 he says so then or in literally because of our new nature he said so then in other words because of this he calls us to live differently as a christian we live with a great awareness of the reality of the world that we live in we understand this world is fallen we understand what sin has done to the original creation of god we understand what the future of this world is in other words it doesn't have a future we understand the frailty the, the futility of the nature of what the darkness is pursuing. You see, our identity, our nature, and our conduct should go hand in hand. Because we understand all of that, we should live differently. We shouldn't live like the world. We shouldn't live like the darkness. We should live differently. And we do this by what it says in verse 8. It says, since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. You know, that word sober there, it, you know, it, it draws a picture of not being distracted or distorted our minds. You know, make sure we're, we're right of our mind. Make sure we're focused. And then it goes on and it speaks about that spiritual armor of, of faith and, and love and hope. He's talking about having our focus there. Since we are of the day, focus on the things of the day. Don't be focusing on the things of the night. It's so easy for our attention to get get drawn by all these things around us. And and folks, when we get drawn into that, it's darkness. Put your focus on faith, on the hope and, and, and the love of Jesus Christ. See, when you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, there are three things that you are saved from concerning sin. Number one you are saved from the penalty of sin because Christ forgave you. Christ paid the penalty for your sin. He gave his life on the cross. So number one, you are saved from the penalty of sin. Number two, you are saved from the power of sin. Through our relationship with Christ, we are saved from the power of sin. In other words, we have the means to resist. I might still be in the midst of darkness. I might still have that draw towards sinfulness. But God has given me victory over the power of sin in my life. So when I sin, I do it willingly. It's not just because of my nature I'm living it out. We've been given a new nature in Jesus Christ. So we've been saved from the penalty of sin. We're saved from the power of sin. And finally, one day, we're going to be saved from the presence of sin. You know, that, that final aspect of our salvation. When we get to an eternity... Imagine a life with no sinfulness. Imagine a life that you don't have your draw towards jealousy or towards anger or, or, or bitterness or hurt or pain. All those things, the presence of sin one day for a Christian is going to be gone. And folks, every single day, we are getting nearer and nearer to our final glory. I mean, his encouragement here is the night is almost gone. We are of the light. We live in a dark world. But that day is coming near. He's trying to encourage them. That day is coming near. Christ's return is imminent. You know, don't get sucked back into your old practices while you're waiting. You know, live for the day, live for the light, for faith, for hope, for love. Keep your your focus on those things. That's what we have been called to, that's what we have been saved to. That is in our nature. And our nature affects then how we live. Number three, very quickly here. Third reason that we do not live in fear is because of our destiny. Because of our destiny, verse 9 and 10. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us So that whether we are awake, in other words, whether we're alive or whether we're asleep, whether we have died, we will live together with him. So God has not destined us for wrath. And I find it interesting because the way that statement is given there, it is a broad statement. There are no qualifications that are given about this wrath that it's talking about. In other words, we, we have no wrath from God. We have no wrath for the punishment of our sin. No matter what I have done in my past, no matter what Christ died to save me from and to call me out of that darkness, I will never face the wrath of God for those things because of Jesus Christ, because of what he paid on the cross for me. There's no wrath for the punishment of sin. There is no wrath when I do wrong even today. You know, there's no wrath upon me when I, as a believer, sin. Now, the Bible does talk about that the Lord disciplines and he chastens every son who he receives, but never. I mean, we, we as parents, we've, and, and when we were younger, we may have experienced the wrath of our parents when they were just angry at us you know, for what we did and, and what they were doing maybe had no connection with trying to restore us. God will no longer do that. We will never have the wrath of God upon us. No matter what I do, you do not have the wrath of God on you. You may have the chastening. He may try to bring circumstances in your life to get your attention, to get your correction. But again, he's doing that as a loving Heavenly Father. I have absolutely no wrath as a Christian today. And I will have no wrath on the day of the Lord. When that seven-year tribulation comes, there's going to be no wrath. The Christians are not going to go through that because he is going to take us to be with him before he unleashes his wrath and his judgment upon the world. I love Romans 5, verses 8 and 9. It says, But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, in other words, Not just, he didn't just die for our sins much more than our, uh, even on top of that, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. We are saved from the wrath of God. I have nothing to fear when I am a child of God, when I have truly given my heart to him. Folks, it is pretty simple. In John three thirty six. It says, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. It's very simple. God puts it there. Light and darkness, saved, unsaved, sober versus alert, or sober versus drunk, life versus death. These are the issues. There's no in-between with God. We are either children of light or the wrath of God abides on us. Those of the night, those of the darkness, the wrath of God abides on them. But our hope is in Jesus Christ. That's the hope he gives here. For God hath not destined us for wrath. Don't worry about it. You're not in there. You know, the Bible talks a lot about the wrath of God. It talks a lot about the judgment of sin, but you're not in there. You've got a new nature. You've got a new walk. You've got a new life. He's not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another just as also you are doing. So folks, whether you die before the Lord returns or whether we're alive when that moment comes when he calls his church back to himself, he says we will live together with him. Can I get an amen to that? Isn't that truth? Folks, that should put some bounce in your step. That should make a difference when you go out from here. That should make a difference tomorrow when you're at work and there's darkness around you or when you are in your community or or any other sort of circumstances. We are children of the light and I am called to step into those places of darkness and be the light, to be different, to be distinctive in my life because Christ has given me that new nature, and no matter what trials, no matter what struggles we have of being in this world, but not really of this world, no matter what hardship that brings in our life, God gives us a promise. His wrath will never be on you. His wrath will never, he's never going to unleash that on me. My hope is to be with him, together with him. So I want you to be encouraged by that. And if if you can just get your minds around that, if you can just get your hearts around that, folks, that's going to make a a whole lot of difference in how we live today and how you look at the circumstances that God allows to come into your life. Let's pray. Father God, I, I, I stand here humbled as I read your word and I read so many of the promises that you give us and this great promise that, Father, that I will never experience your wrath, not because of me, but because of your son, Jesus. And, Lord, I'm humbled because we know we don't deserve this. But it is solely on your your grace and your mercy. You're bringing us to yourself, and thank you, God, for that. I pray right now for my brothers and sisters here who, uh, boy, life is, is just pounding them right now. Darkness is pounding upon them. God, I pray that they can look up and they can find their faith, their hope, their love, that they can have their focus on that, that they will not give in to the darkness that is around them, that darkness that you can often just, you can just feel it. Lord, I pray for any here today who, as they look at their life, you know, they're not positive that they know you as their Lord and Savior. Father, you, you kind of pulled away that excuse that we kind of think that we're slowly, you know, sneaking up on our salvation. And, you know, we're almost there, Father. We're there or we're not. And God, if we are in darkness today, I pray that today would be the day that, that we stop rolling the dice and taking a chance with our life. That we would face your wrath in the future. That we would face your wrath even right now. And God, that we would give our hearts to you. That we would accept you for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you, God, for moving in our hearts and in our minds today. We love you, Lord. In thy name. We